0: This episode of Open Mind is sponsored by Very.co.uk. The Very Christmas Shop is ready, and they've got everything you need for the coolest of Yule's, including Christmas gifts for all the family, decorations to deck your halls, fun Christmas ideas to keep everyone entertained, and all the most wanted Christmas presents on their wish lists. From tots to teens and big kids too, just go to Very.co.uk and search Christmas. Hi, welcome back to Open Mind with me, Frankie Bridge. This is actually the last episode of this series, which is just insane. Like, didn't even think I'd have my own podcast and now here I am at the end of the series, so... Amazing. Um, And to finish it off nicely, it's someone that I've actually wanted to get on for quite a few weeks and she's been a hard woman to pin down. It's only blooming Jenny Ryan. So she is the vixen on the chase and she's just been in the final of X Factor Celebrity. Hi, Jenny. Hello, thanks for having me. That's all right. We actually had a random night out once, didn't we? We
1: did. It was was good. We ended up doing a, a mini pop quiz.
0: <laughs> Which, oh, like no. yeah, was, yeah. was I good at that, Jenny? Or?
1: Well, you were actually trying to quiz me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and Wayne were um, singing or humming pop oh songs no. and I had to identify them but it was it was impossible maybe some drink had been taken though
0: <laughs> I'm not sure now who comes off worse on this the fact that you couldn't understand my humming or that you didn't know them so I think we take both take a hit on this yeah, one <laughs> yeah yeah little
1: disgrace though
0: I feel like with you it's only been over the last few weeks that we're properly getting to know the real Jenny Ryan because mm-hmm. um, I feel like on The Chase you're kind of this character aren't you yeah I mean you're called the Vixen.
1: Yeah, it's, it's almost literally a, a caricature. It's a character that I get dressed up as. You know, there's a costume and there's a, a hairstyle to go with it. And it, it all ties into that being uh, the Vixen character is not quite me. Mm. You don't get to see who I really am. And, the, and part of that is putting up this huge front of being, you know, strong, impenetrable, really tough. And you know, a little bit condescending and a little bit snarky sometimes, if if the contestants give me reason to be. <laughs> um, but so that's that's not quite who I am really. But it does help to have that suit of armor, basically, mm. when I walk out to be the vixen to have that shield, and it gives me a bit of license to to have a bit more confidence, really.
0: Because there's quite an expectation on you, I feel, to be you have to be. Super intelligent, no loads about everything, basically. For someone like me watching, I'm like, well, she just knows everything, <laughs> doesn't she? Like, How does she know this stuff? Um, and I feel like that's quite a lot of pressure for you.
1: So I guess the suit of armour helps with that, right? Yeah, it's as soon as I... I have to put on my outfit in the same order. It's a bit of a superstition. So oh, really? as soon as I've put... The last thing I put on are the glasses. The glasses, which I, I'm not allowed to take home because they're far too precious. Wow. Um, they, they are property of ITV. And uh, yeah, God forbid anything should ever happen to those glasses. <laughs> as soon as that pair of glasses goes on, though, I'm I'm falling into character. And then just the short walk into the studio means that I've got that time to, to sort of get into my element Mm. and to push away you know all those doubts because it's not helpful in that situation to be conscious of all that pressure that is on you because that's when you start to make mistakes if you go in there with utter confidence you are less likely to make the mistake even though you're the same person you've got the same knowledge you've prepared in the same way every single time. You've read all the same stuff in the lead-up to, to the quiz. It's that that shield, that, that suit of armour that is the costume and that is the character gives you that edge and it means that you can put to one side the thought that there are you know, five million people going to be watching and if you make a slip up, they are going to be all over you. <laughs>
0: They're so happy about it. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie, when I'm watching The Chase and one of you gets it wrong, I love it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you in your face. Oh. Like, it's such a good feeling. I always think the person that's standing there must be like, <laughs> ah.
1: Yeah, yeah. We, we, but we literally can't know everything, and it would be so boring if we got every single question oh, right really and would, one every time.
0: I wouldn't get that excitement of yeah. one of you getting it. It's right. That little
1: bit of joy of <laughs> you know getting one over on someone who's <laughs> supposed to be better than you. Ah.
0: And did you think your life would end up that way? Like, what was your goal when you were younger? Because I can't imagine. A quiz show on ITV was like, you know, there was no what such you thing thought, as yeah. making
1: money out of of of, of being a, a quizzer. It was always my hobby. Uh, when I was about eight, um, I started, you know, watching shows like Perry Mason and things that had lawyers in, and I decided that what I wanted to be was a a, a barrister. And that was what the only thing I wanted to be. At
0: the age of eight?
1: At the age of eight. So everything was focused on I'm going to go to university, do a law degree, then I'll take the bar and then uh, you know I'll, I'll get admitted to one of the ends of court and in the end I'll be a QC and maybe then I'll go into politics and I had all this trajectory set out for myself wow. from being at primary school. And it, things just didn't pan out that way in the end. I mean, I, I did go and do a law degree, and I did summer placements and work experience at some big law firms, and that's when it dawned on me that the industry was not for me. I, I could see it; it's great for a lot of people. One thing I I hated about it was that it was it was quite it was potentially quite backstabby in mm. that. This big law firm that I did a summer placement at had all these students coming in and they were supposed to try and entice them into, into taking a, a job with them or taking the training contract. So you do a training contract for a couple of years. Um and at the end of it you're a qualified solicitor and it means that you 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 can go and get a job anywhere, but maybe at the place that you've done your training. So we were being buttered up to apply for the training contract by the current trainee solicitors. And we were being taken out for meals and we were being shown around everywhere and getting let into all these little trade secrets. And it got to the Friday and it was let slip to me by one of the trainee solicitors that for every job that was available in that company at the end of the training contract, there were three trainees. Mm -hmm. So at some point, a switch was going to be flipped and they were all just going to have to start one up in each other and working hard. So there were none of them had any. None of them had taken any holiday in the previous year. They would built up so much loo time that they couldn't <laughs> take that holiday. Yeah. The only breaks they were going on were work trips, and they were all sort of eyeing each other up for who was the weakling. Oh, I'm better than them, so I've got a better chance. But maybe they're, well, they're a bit too strong. And and I hated that that made me feel so uncomfortable but if it was so competitive or because it was competitive but not in a not in a the way that I'm competitive I'm competitive with myself Hmm. and I don't like a competition where it's a zero sum I don't like I I win so you lose that's not nice for me Uh, which is ironic considering what my job is, but I mean, my... it's a game, isn't it? It is a game and my job, I'm competitive with myself and The Chase in that I'm contracted to try and win every single show to get as many questions right as I can. So that's me, I'm competing with myself on that ground. If the contestants are good enough to happen to beat me on a show, then that's great because they've beaten me. It's not that I've lost, Mm. I've still done my very best. And yeah, we've still got to lose the odd show in in order for it to continue to be uh, interesting. I just didn't like this very personal one-upmanship, every man for himself, because I'm, I'm somebody who likes to support other people and to see everybody do the best and everybody to achieve. And it did, it made me uncomfortable and it made me think that it wasn't the industry I should be in. And made me think about what I did enjoy and what I do enjoy is creativity and bringing joy to people and yeah entertainment darling entertainment
0: mm. <laughs> so is that when you decided then right I'm not going to do this like how did you make the change
1: it was a big decision because yeah, I've wanted to do this since I was eight and when I got to university and I found that I wasn't really enjoying my course as much as I'd thought I would it was really tricky. I'm the only kid of my generation in my family. So my mum's the oldest of five and she had me when she was quite young and then her siblings had children when they were older. So there's a huge gap between me and my cousins. So I was like the baby, the genius baby of the family. Everybody expected huge things of me. Everybody mm-hmm. was bigging me up all the time. And the fact that I'd chosen this career and I was making it come true and was going to university and I got there and in the first few weeks I thought I'd made a huge mistake, but I didn't think there was any way I could turn it around. I didn't want to I didn't want to admit I'd made a mistake and I didn't want to upset my mum, really. I didn't want to upset my family by saying actually everything you thought about me is wrong and this, you know, I if I could have changed to an English literature degree, if I thought that was possible in the first couple of weeks, then that's what I should have done. Mm. However, if I if I had done that, I wouldn't be sitting here now. So but you've got to think about those you, sliding doors things. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but it wasn't that you couldn't do it. Mm. I'm sure you were, like, capable of doing it. Yeah. You just didn't like it. So it wouldn't have been that they would have been disappointed that you weren't able to.
1: Yeah, I think I'd, 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 just, I'd just put a bit too much stock in, in my own pride mm. and their pride in me. And I thought it was this fixed thing. Uh, it's It's taken, you know many years for me to realize that their pride in me is it's it's not just for one thing my mum keeps saying that she's proud of me but she'd be proud of me whatever I chose to do and I could never disappoint her Hmm. which it's great to know but you don't you hear that when you're a kid and you're like, yeah, 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 I need to go and forge my own path. Mm. And actually that's the absolute truth because she's been proud of me for, on some occasions, she's been proud of me for, for getting out of the house mm. because it has been that tough. And has it always been like that for you? Have you struggled with your
0: mental health for years? or how? What way do you suffer?
1: Yeah, I, I didn't know what was wrong with me when I was, it was when I was a teenager. Something changed when I was at school and I couldn't figure it out. And it, we're talking, it's over 20 years ago now. So things weren't quite as open and honest and the education wasn't there in school. So I didn't know that there was anything the matter with me in a physical like chemi- brain chemistry way i thought maybe i'm just like lazy maybe i just don't maybe maybe i'm not as clever as everybody thinks because i i stopped achieving as much as I, as as i was doing i was coasting for the longest time and then suddenly i found myself sort of almost incapable of even doing the homework mm. like it was a struggle to pick up the book and I didn't know what was wrong with me until I actually, you know, I scraped through my exams, didn't do as well as I thought I would, and then got to university. And in, in the first semester, I went to the GP because I, I, I was having more physical symptoms that, you know, I was having what I now know to be anxiety attacks and finding it, you know, a struggle to get out of bed and finding it, um, you know really difficult to engage with other people, just wanting to be by myself. And it was suggested that I, you know, I go to the doctor. Thankfully, I can't remember who it was who suggested it. Mm. And I'm so glad that they did because the doctor went, well, you've got depression. I was, but I can't. How can I have d- depression? Because what have I got to be depressed about? I'm, you know, I'm a really good university. I've got, you know, my whole life ahead of me. What is, th- what is there to be depressed about? And then you find out more about it. So this, is, this is where my learning bug kicks in and it mm. really helped that you read more about it and you find that it's, it's a chemical problem. It's a physical thing that's affecting the way that your brain is functioning and your emotions are functioning. And that was a revelation to me. So I probably had been struggling with depression since my early teens, but Mm. I didn't know until I was 18, 19 that that's what it was.
0: And did that make you feel better to kind of have someone go, you know what, this is what
1: it is, or did it freak you out? In the first instance, it made me feel better. And then it was, well, how do I cure it? And... It was difficult then to figure out, you know, do I go on medication? I tried various medications that didn't work for me. And I felt it was so difficult for me to make the appointment with the doctor in the first place that going back to say, well, these drugs aren't working. These drugs are making me sleep all the time. These drugs are keeping me awake all night, which was, you know, the opposite Mm -hmm. effect when I changed medication. That was a struggle. And coming to terms with the fact that its it has taken me 20 years now to realise that you can't cure it. No. It's its there and you can find ways of making it better. And the one thing that took me the longest time to find out made me feel better was to talk about it. I thought it was something to be ashamed about that was very rare and nobody would understand and people would just think it was an excuse. So I didn't really tell anybody about it and once I started to from being in my mid-20s it was better and now I just I, I'm I'm someone who's yeah all right yeah this is me I'm having a black dog day I'm feeling grim um I hope you understand that you know I don't feel like coming out today and mm. you know your friends go okay did you, you tell your mom around? at the time or yeah she's one of the very few people I told my mum and my stepdad, I told, and my mum is a nurse she's got she's a background in nursing, so she understood um my stepdad didn't understand what was up, so he would make the occasional joke about being mad <laughs> right. um which i did I told him off about, and he thankfully is somebody who's very open to learning. And so even then I remember explaining to so him, I said, you know, there's this sort of one in four people probably have suffered from depression this year. And he said, really? I said, yeah, yeah." mental health is it's a bigger thing than than you realize. And so he he's someone who goes away and learns more about things and, mm. and he wants to offer support. So that's that was nice. But then telling the rest of the family and telling my friends, it's something that I kept from a lot of people for the for a very long time. Um, and now you don't get me to shut up about it. <laughs> They're probably sick of me.
0: <laughs> and how do you deal with it now then? Are you still on medication? Do you do therapy?
1: I'm not currently on medication. I do try and save that for really bad episodes and thankfully not had one of those for a few years now I've worked out which medication I need to go and ask for as well right. I go on my fluoxetine and <laughs> um, that that usually just helps to level out a bit the other thing that I found that I hadn't matched up the behaviour with the outcome for so long is music that has helped me I can't explain how much singing particularly and playing music has helped me and I, I just did not realise the correlation between you know going to the ukulele group on a wednesday thursday I felt great all day okay. and there is something about the hormones that that are released into your body when you do something like that that's it's it becomes the the physical push back of the chemicals against the bad chemicals and finding that one thing that for me, it's not a permanent cure, but it's a, it's a temporary patch. If I'm feeling rubbish, now I know I'm going to stick Spotify on, mm. whack some tunes on that I know all the words to and belt it out and drive my next door neighbour mad. <laughs> but that will make me feel that little bit better and feel enough better if you get me to so That's like to your survive. little
0: release of endorphins. Like some people love to go to the gym, go for a yep. walk, go for a run or whatever. Yours is singing, listening to something you love. Yeah. And what do you feel like then is your trigger? Do you know what your thing is? Can you tell when you're kind of going spiraling mm. back down?
1: It's sometimes hard for me to tell exactly what it is that causes a bit of an episode sometimes it's being bored sometimes it's not having things to do and then sometimes it's being too busy and wishing I had nothing to do and wishing I could just have a day under a duvet watching Grey's Anatomy which for me that if I'm watching Grey's Anatomy that is that is actually a symptom (laughs) (laughs) it's your coping mechanism just turn that off and put something a bit more cheerful on where Mm. you know not everybody dies in a plane crash every five minutes (laughs) It's it always, is so depressing. Always a disaster. <laughs> I don't really know why I watch that. Um, I can tell there's almost like the, these physical... I can feel like there's a little prickle at the back of my brain. Really? Yeah. Or there's more intrusive thoughts. and it, I, I do struggle with intrusive thoughts and recognising that they are a symptom of my depression and anxiety is... An absolute key. I I just thought this is absolutely bonkers that whenever I am upstairs, say, in a theatre, if I get tickets for the, you know, for the the gods, I can't concentrate on the show because I'm thinking... Someone's gonna fall off the side. I'm gonna fall off the side. I'm just gonna run down there and jump. I'm gonna throw somebody off. These are these are all perpetually going round. You know, what if what if I went down the front and I dropped my phone and it hit someone on the head and it killed them? What if I then you know fell over the and, and really? Yeah. So and I thought that that was really Why didn't unusual. You not get those tickets. <laughs> Well, I they see now. Now I always sit in the stalls. P <laughs> number one, yeah. and that's and I and I think that is having looked into why these things happen. I think that's quite a common symptom of you know anxiety and of being somebody who is kind of hyper aware of their surroundings and I think it's actually quite a lot more common in women mm. oh I'm, I'm totally yeah it's like, yeah, it's, like yeah. The, it's the chimp bit of your brain he's going oh um right where's the danger here let's identify the big risks mm-hmm. because you know the, the the primeval bit of your brain desperately wants to protect you and your brood so you 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 want to make sure everything is super safe so recognizing that is it's it's daft but you can't really control that kind of thought. Mm.
0: And it's so weird, isn't it? Like, I've had exactly the same things. Like you say, like, what if I throw that person over there? Yeah. That's like something you're never going to do. Yeah. Why would you ever do it? What if it? I just veer the car? Yeah, stuff? but you're, there's no, part you of your brain that. that's like, what if though? What yeah. if
1: I did? And I, think, I think that's actually, having looked into it, it's a sign of a really healthy brain because you are just being so aware of your surroundings that... You want to be careful, and you want. It's. It, I think it ties in for me with. I'm obsessed with true crime, so I'm on true crime podcasts all the time. Murder, murder, murder sends me to sleep, right. and I think that is a symptom of this. It's the, it ties in with all the same stuff: being aware of risks mm-hmm. and wanting to know what is the worst case scenario. When you think of it like that, you think, "Oh, it's actually, it's not that bad to have those intrusive thoughts."
0: But was you like that when you were younger?
1: I think I've got more anxious as I've got older. Mm. It's quite a common thing. You know, little kids will be throwing themselves around on trampolines and on climbing frames. And I would have done that. And now I, I look at it and go, there's no, oh, ice skating. I tried ice skating after 25 years. No, no. I, I was convinced I was going to you know, shatter my femur and bleed to death on the ice or something like it's that. So like, specific. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you know, it used to be, oh, well, if you fall over, someone's going to skate over your fingers and chop them off. That used to be the rumour. But to I, used, fair, I used yeah. to throw myself around the ice rink when I was a kid. No fear whatsoever. And now, no, you, it's far too risky.
0: I do think that happens, though. Like, I've always gone um, skiing and snowboarding and... Now I still enjoy it, but now every time I'm going down a mountain, I'm thinking, oh, someone's going to take me out. Or I'm going to hit my head, and yeah. then I'm going to die, and Or I'm going to go off the edge of the cliff, like you know, because that happens all like all the time. Even though I don't go anywhere near off piece <laughs> or
1: anything it's remotely dangerous, you know. But that's I think that's I think that's something to do with getting older. For you, it's it's to do with being a mother as oh, well. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. So you you've always got that. In the back of your mind, you know, what if, what if, what if? But I think it's, you know, it's it's healthy if sometimes a bit debilitating, and if it means you have to pay an extra tenner for your ticket for the theatre, then <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I can cope with that. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think you should. Yeah. Open Mind, the podcast, is sponsored by Very looking for the perfect party outfit head to very.co.uk for all the latest trends to kick off the holiday season so if music is this thing for you that you say makes you feel so great then x-factor celebrity must have been just a 100% yes then it was it
1: was tough to actually decide that I was going to do it it took ages for me and my me and my agent were having this back and forth for a couple of months about it about what a risk it was um, I mean for him the risk was you know if it's an absolute car crash for you if you go and you you know you croak out a song and it's dreadful and you get torn to shreds by Simon Cowell the damage to your brand your reputation to work going forwards how do you come back from that and for me the risk was the risk of rejection, which, you know, it's something that I'm particularly sensitive to having, you know, I've, I've, I've used therapy in the past and counselling to try and figure out why, you know, the reasons behind some of my mental health problems. And some of that it's to do with rejection and it's attachment and, you know, uh, being rejected by someone who shouldn't be rejecting you, basically. Mm -hmm. And so that's, a slightly triggery thing for me to think that i could have a very very public rejection in front of millions of people was potentially not going to do my mental health any good on the other hand i looked at the fact that we were going to get vocal training which is something i've wanted to do for a long time and not really invested my time in that side of of my abilities because i've been focused so much on the chase and these, you know, these experiences that we're told we're getting, you know, we're going to go to L.A. and I've never been there before and that was very exciting. So it was, it was weighing that risk up and that the risk of rejection was, it was very strong and it was working out just how resilient I was feeling and, and by the time decision day came to say yes or no, I, I must have just been feeling super resilient that day. I must have been having. If it's in the summer, you know, I've got more sunlight. I was probably feeling quite good about about the, the clocks have probably just uh, just gone forward, so it was all nice and bright. And yeah, so it was it was a tough decision to do that and face the rejection. And the fact is, I I faced the rejection mm. and I was rejected, and I was really angry they didn't show that, they didn't actually have the cameras on me when I got, you know, they didn't, they said I wasn't going through to the live shows and I was furious. With who? With them, with the panel, because I thought they'd made a terrible decision, which is really unlike me to be confident. I usually would have been, oh, I should have done this better, I should have done that. And I knew that I could not have done better at my first audition. I... Walked out there and I went into, for some reason, the vixen persona of just being completely automatic. She took over. I didn't feel anxious. I didn't feel nervous. Just went out there and smashed it as best as I could with, you know, just a couple of weeks of, of vocal training. You know, I'd watched the other act and I thought, okay, uh, if we're going on vocal ability.
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah. Then... There were some that got through that. If I was you, I would have been like, are you fucking joking me?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit, yeah, it was, it was like that. I was thinking, yeah. it, I don't don't see why they rejected me. And I, the only reason I could think that they rejected me was because, you know, Louis Welsh always says, you look like a pop star, you sound like a pop star. I might have sounded like a pop star, but I don't look like a pop star. And that's the only thing I can think of that they didn't pick me to go through in the first place. And that's that's the worst of all for me. That's not just rejection. That's rejection on my physical appearance, which is, again, something I've had to you know struggle with my demons over. And I've got to a place of acceptance of myself and I love myself and I don't really want to change myself all that much. I think I'm great, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a wild thing for me to say, considering where I was maybe five years ago and hating myself uh so I was absolutely furious I was so it was probably about five in the morning over here and I was on yes. the phone to my agent like crying and having a good howl down the phone so, I mean he was just as furious as I was even though he'd not seen the audition mm. and it it took until the actual screening of the show for him to realize why I was so angry and upset he was annoyed for me
0: so how long was it after then? Because then you got called back in it, right? Yeah. So how long was it from the rejection to then this, oh, we want you back in? It was a very, long
1: time. It really? Felt, it felt like forever. It was it was a matter of weeks, but it still felt like...
0: But that's still a long time to go yeah. from, I put myself up for this, it took everything I had to be like, fine, yeah. I'd been backwards and forwards, you put yourself in that position, and then you're like, oh, okay, that's yeah. not happening anymore.
1: Yeah, I, I, I was so... I was really angry, so I cried all my makeup off and went back to my hotel room. Everyone else in the cast was going out for their big LA night out that we'd saved up for after the after the reveal. Mm. And I didn't go. I stayed in my hotel room and drank a couple of glasses of wine and, and ate a lot of sweets and put myself into a, a sugar coma. <laughs> That's the only way I could get to sleep. Uh, so I missed out on that, and then I was furious in the, in the car on the way to the airport and I was there with Victoria, the, one of the other contestants, and she kind of taught me down a little bit, and I had the flight back. And by the time I got back, I thought, "Well, it's done now." Ah. Their loss, yeah, because it, it felt like an, a, a different, because it was a different country and it didn't feel real. Ah, yeah, well, when it's on telly, you know, people get mad and they'll, you know, they'll they'll tweet about it, and there we go. So I actually had time to get to get to grips and come to terms with the fact that I'd had this rejection, and it was done. So. Yeah. Next, we have to wait for it to be on TV and then...
0: <laughs> and then how did you end up coming back in it?
1: It it was it was sort of out of the blue that I, I literally got a phone call from Simon Cowell himself to really? say...
0: <laughs> That's normal. Hello.
1: Hello, Jenny. They sent a film crew around to my house. i was <laughs> like, all right. And oh, really? There he was. Yeah, they do not actually show the footage in the end. Um, but the the this phone call from Simon, because he wanted to tell me personally that they'd made a mistake. Right. And well at least he knows. I know it was a, it was a very tough situation because the they already had put through more acts than they'd intended to from the first audition because the the standard was so high. And then in our age category, the overs, we had the added problem that Vinnie Jones had signed up to be on the show, but literally a week before we were filming in LA, his wife died. And It was the most awkward situation because he kind of wanted to continue because it's what Tanya wanted Mm. but also was really struggling so he couldn't come to the the audition in the first place and Simon was saying, well, it's not fair to not give him the chance. Mm. So you understand that we're going to put him through because he said that he's willing to do the live shows and I said, oh, that's absolutely fine. He said... But that's also not fair on you because you absolutely smashed your audition. So we are gonna put you through as well. So that was I could see it was an, a very tough decision for for Simon and and the the, the producers to have to make. Mm. And I guess that kind of just fired me up again because I thought well, I've not exactly got an apology. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got sort of an admission that they were slightly wrong in the first place, not putting me through. I've got this second chance. So I, want, I, I want to prove them wrong for not putting me through and I want to prove them right for choosing to put me through yeah. in the end.
0: Was there not a part of you that was like, no, didn't want me the first time?
1: No, I, I, I wanted to do the live shows. I, was, I felt, I've got this FOMO I hate missing out. And to <laughs> know that all that gang that I'd been hanging out with in LA <laughs> yeah. were all getting this experience. And what really buoyed me up was the, the public response after the, seeing my first audition. And people were absolutely furious on my behalf.
0: Which must have felt amazing.
1: Yeah, it was great. I have my own hashtag, justice for Jenny. <laughs> that was so funny. Um, you know, people were, were writing in to complain and I, I guess people rang into to ITV to have a whinge as well yeah. as venting the spleen on social media. Um, so that that really did give me a boost to know that people were enjoying my performance so much. Mm. that they wanted to see more of me and they were furious that they weren't getting the chance to and and at this point you know i kind of thought oh this is this is really exciting that mm. i actually so will get surreal. to tell them at some point very soon i had to not tell them actually what what was going to happen what the mm. twist was that they were going to put put me through anyway and then the this this wave of love that i got when they actually announced that i was going through and after that was been that's that's honestly what's carried me through what's been it's been an exhausting process mm. and i never thought i would get to the final because I, know, I was kind of hoping bad. for a couple of weeks I was like oh get like halfway through and get voted off and I'll have a couple of weeks rest. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't to be. They got no. the, they certainly squeezed every bit of energy out of me. <laughs>
0: oh no, mate. You were 100% going to the finals. Absolutely no chance of going home. But I feel like we did see that with you. Like you just seemed you you were very open on the show about your insecurities and and everything. And I think that was just like a breath of fresh air for Mm. everyone. And I think, as I say, like seeing you on the chase, we didn't know you, you are this character. And I know from meeting you that time after the ITV party, like you are so different to what you are on the chase. And it's obviously, it's so weird. Why wouldn't you be? But you just take everyone for face value, don't you? On TV, you just do. Um, So I think it was nice. But how was that for you? It must have been really exposing
1: yeah, it, again, that's it's parceled in with the risk of doing a, a reality show like that where people are going to see much more of you than than they ever knew existed because especially when you're playing sort of a character role like like the vixen is very much, you know, she's almost one-dimensional, she's a front mm. and people kind of feel that that's all there is to you and to so so the more unreal they think you are, they, the more that they feel that they can, you know, people on Twitter will, you know, do their worst if they don't think you've got any feelings. And I think now people realise I do have feelings <laughs> and I've shared them and I've cried a few tears. It's quite a refreshing thing that people like me all the more for that. Mm. It, that could have been the worst thing is I'd gone out there being myself 100% and people gone, nah, not keen on her, mm. thought her out and that must that must really really hurt really really hurt I I thought this is going to be the kind of platform I may never have again so I just wanted to go out there be honest about myself and to highlight some of the things that I've been through and some of the things that I believe and You know, I didn't. I didn't see anyone else out of all the acts as much as I love them. They were were very pop, and I thought, well, I've got this platform, and I can make political points here. I mean, not in terms of party politics, but Mm. the fact that I ended up dancing with drag queens in front of big rainbow flags Mm -hmm. to Lady Gaga was an absolute highlight for me because that was the thing I wanted to highlight is acceptance and representation and how important that is for everybody's mental well-being because if you're all you're seeing on tv is people who look a certain way and that way isn't how you look or people whose lifestyle is a certain way and it's not something that that you even want let alone achieve that's only going to make you feel Awful,
0: Because mm. you spoke out a lot after you'd sung and stuff about confidence and, you know, doing things you never thought you'd be able to do and saying to people, if there's something you want, you need to just kind of mm. go for it and you can make it happen. And not everyone uses those positions to do that. Yeah. So I think,
1: you know, that was... Yeah, just- I-, I knew it would be a waste if I didn't use the, you know, the 15 seconds that you get mm-hmm. at the end of your song, you know, <laughs> Dermot puts a microphone next to your mouth and you you just have to say something. Mm. And I felt like I needed to share what I'd learned each week, if you if you get what I mean. So I've I've come to a realisation about, you know, not wanting to be settled just for ordinary, just because other people think that you should be You know, stay in your little box, stay in your hutch, stay Mm -hmm. in your hometown, stay, you know, doing an ordinary job. Don't take any risks, you know, stay, you know, a lot of people still pretending to be someone they're not because they don't want to upset people around them. And that makes me really sad. So I think that's something that was shown to me quite early on in the journey. And then more realizations about overcoming the odds and overcoming your worst critic and your worst critic is always yourself it's mm. always the nast that nasty voice i hate that nasty voice um the worst thing is it's my own voice <laughs> <laughs> and yeah drowning that out and and using the that it, it was like a tidal wave of love that i've had and i kind of want to print out every nice twitter comment and put it on my wall as wallpaper and so i can look at it forever um,
0: <laughs> and what's like now that it's finished? Like, how do you feel now? Because you must have just been on this massive high every week, kind of just like running on adrenaline. Like your whole life changed. For
1: how long was it? It's eight eight weeks. I was sort of in in yeah. the thick of it. It was yeah six weeks of live shows and and all the prep that went with it. Mm. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I'm I'm literally jet lagged, even though I've not been on a plane. Mm, yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm not really sure what time zone it is. Um, still waking up like I was during during X-Factor, waking up suddenly at two in the morning and, you know, trying to run lyrics. <laughs> like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> or getting excited about the next day if it was a show day. You know, you couldn't yeah. really sleep that well the night before, even though you were exhausted. So now I've I've still got that. I've got the excess of adrenaline that's still keeping me awake when I should be sound asleep. Um, it's It's going to take a while to come to terms with it because it still doesn't really feel like it happened even. Mm. In some ways, I feel like I've been time travelling. So, you know, I got in the TARDIS and suddenly a week later, it's December, what happened? <laughs> it's Christmas. Uh, it, was, it was September a minute ago. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it's it's going to take a bit of wrapping my head around to, to figure out what discoveries I've made about myself, and have all that sort of filter down and embed in mm. into my unconscious, and I just have to keep channeling that joy and that sort of the the difference between where I was a few years ago to where I am now, and I can't possibly let any of that roll back. I have no. to keep keep rolling forward and keep keep pushing myself. And being an example that, you know, people can be in very a very dark place and, and a really bad place and it's possible to, to change it as long as you don't give up on yourself. I, I, I nearly gave up on myself quite a few times and the best decisions I ever made were those times when I, 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 I decided to persist in existing <laughs> <laughs> and push myself forward and keep going because you know the bit of my brain that has got louder and louder the positive bit saying you are worth it mm. you are important you can make a difference to the world it's essential to keep that that little voice and keep keep amplifying it and now that little voice is amplified across TVs across the nation because I I I've been saying all this on national TV and I'm going to give that all I'm trying to give all that back to help people who are in a situation I was, Mm. you know, earlier this decade.
0: Well, I'm so glad you persisted. And I'm sure there are so many people out there that are. Like, I've just sat here with a big smile on my face the whole time you've been speaking. It's just, I don't know, it's so exciting to hear someone that's, like, found their way and come from where you have come and you know, you you seem in such a great place, you've put yourself out there and you've got nothing but love back and I just know that there's so many people out there that have been watching that don't feel great or don't feel like they can achieve what they want to achieve or don't feel like they fit in and now they can look at you and say, okay, well she's done it and yeah. you know, nothing, the world didn't end, Yeah. so I can do it, yeah. so well done congratulations like personally and career wise I mean you're the only way is up now and
1: I can't wait to see what you do next so same same I'm, I'm, I'm excited but I'm hoping to get some sleep in before I
0: do anything now <laughs> sleep is important it's important
1: <laughs> self care
0: yeah well I'll let you go and sleep Thanks, thanks for coming and talking to me. Like Honestly, I was so excited to have you on. When I saw you on the show, I was like, I need to have her, but you were so blooming busy. <laughs> so I'm glad that X Factor's finished. Um, and you're the perfect f- person for me to finish the um, series on. Um, I just know everyone's going to love listening to this and be inspired. So thanks.
1: And i thank you for having me and inviting me. And uh, yeah, hopefully people will take us something from my story. and
0: They will, they will.
1: <laughs> lift somebody up.
0: That's what I want. Thank you. I just want to say a massive thank you to Jenny and all my other guests that I've had on for Series 1 of Open Mind. And we'll be back in the new year with Series 2. This episode of Open Mind, the podcast, was sponsored by Very.co.uk.